Hey, Rebecca. Hey, JB. You work with today's guest. Do you consider him a mentor? Oh my gosh, I absolutely do. I have learned so much from him, working with him, and I'm so excited to share him with our listeners. Okay, what is the, the, like, the big thing that you got from him? There's something he taught me that I have used for years. He would always say, cast first, guess always. And I'm just going to say that this is something we can all put into practice. And some listeners may not know what that means, but if you tune into this episode, I think we're going to find out. We absolutely are, and I'm so excited. Today's guest is Dave Vermeulen, and we're going to learn more about his greatest accomplishment, his greatest adversity, and his best advice for leaders. Stay with us. Welcome. I'm your host, J.B. Adams. And I'm your host, Rebecca Morgan. In this series, we bring you conversations with experienced leaders. Because a leader is anyone who influences change, we want to understand not just what leaders do, but who they are and how they can be effective in a rapidly changing world. We hope you'll learn some things about our guests, about our topic, and also about yourself. This is Leadership Life Stories. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. We'll be right back after this important message. Well, hi there, listeners. It's Rebecca Morgan. If you told my younger self you are going to love talking about leadership, and when you grow up, you will lead hundreds and develop thousands of managers and leaders and create great places to work, I would have laughed at the idea because I was focused on becoming a dolphin trainer. Yeah, while I still love dolphins, what I really love to do is leadership development. So much so that I created the Awesome Leader League, the ultimate collection of people-centered leadership skills to help you be a better leader. If you're looking for ways to become more confident and an effective people-centered leader that people will trip over their own feet to follow, this is your resource. And did I mention we do it in 20 minutes or less? Join us now at theawesomeleaderleague.com. This season of Leadership Life Stories is focusing on examining Disney leadership as the Walt Disney World Resort celebrates its 50th anniversary. This is part two of a two-part interview with Dave Vermeulen, former executive at the Walt Disney World Resort, and he also holds the distinction of having worked at every Disney theme park resort location in the world. This segment is called The Greatest Accomplishment, and it gives us a chance to understand how a leader defines success. You're going to hear Rebecca and I interview Dave Vermeulen, and toward the end of the segment, he's going to tell a specific story about something that happened in 1977. And Rebecca, we need to set up some context for this. Yes, we absolutely do. So I have a quiz for you, JB, because I love to quiz you. Oh, I love that too. All right, let's do it. All right, what was Dave's role? Where did he work in 1977? Dave Vermeulen was the food and beverage manager at the Contemporary Resort. Okay, he's going to talk about Don Tatum. Who's Don Tatum? Don Tatum was the chairman of the Walt Disney Company in 1977. All right, he's going to mention Card Walker. Yes, Card Walker in 1977 was the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, and Don Tatum was the chairman of the Walt Disney Company. And these two gentlemen were some of the first executive level leaders outside of the Disney family. This is toward the end of the segment. So the next thing that you will hear is Dave Remulin sharing his definition of success. 
You know, I used to tell people that I got paid to make people happy. And I believe that's true. I got paid to make people happy. And of course, that happened in many different ways. But I think if you want to talk about at the end of the day, today or tomorrow, if I felt we had achieved that, to me, that was success. Personal success also was being able to keep growing and advancing in the company. And, you know, if you go back to that story I was telling you about when I was in my teenage years and I was beginning to get mixed up with the wrong crowd and all that kind of stuff, I had no idea that I could ever move into the type of roles that, you know, I eventually assumed. In fact, I can remember when I became a general lead at Disneyland. They called me a supervisor, but I was still on an hourly basis and all that kind of stuff. And my boss came up to me and said, hey, kid, did you ever think about being a supervisor? And I said, nope. He says, well, I think you could be one. And I said, okay, fine, I'll try. And I did, and I was successful, and I enjoyed it, and I had fun. And to me, having fun is especially important because why do what you're doing if you hate it? You know, nobody's here against their will. And so I, with that small success, decided that I was just going to see how far I could go. I didn't know for sure that I wanted to be a director or whatever. I just knew that I wanted to go as far as I could go. And so to me, I was a success in that way as well. Dave, when you were a young man and you were looking around and undoubtedly you were surrounded by other people who were ambitious and knew exactly what they wanted and they were going to go get it. Were you one of those people or did you understand how those people worked? Uh, I was not one of those people. As I was saying earlier, you know, I just wanted to keep going where I could, but didn't know exactly where I was going to go. And I hadn't staked out a spot and I didn't um, do anything to keep you from getting ahead or her getting ahead. I was about the team and I was about fairness and honesty and uh, high personal standards. But do you think those ambitious people, I don't want to call them cutthroat, um, but some of them might have been. You know, like, you know, very focused on achieving their professional goals. Do you think oh, sure. a successful approach, some of them, you know, succeed in spite of themselves, some of them go too far? Well, what do you think about all that? Uh, I think there are definitely people that are successful with that approach. And I'm not trying to be evasive, but I think that, uh, you know, some go too far. But, you know, they've been successful. Dave, do you think how you achieve success is important? Like how you get there? Is the end goal uh, getting there? Does it matter? I personally believe that it matters. And I, I think that over time, you develop a reputation. <laughs> the, the people that you lead see how you react in certain situations, how you deal with people, things like that. And you, know, you, you have to be true to your values and true to these people. And if you're not, I think it hurts. Dave, what accomplishments comes to mind when you think of success? When I think about success, I certainly have to make reference as I've made before to the grand openings of 
of the parks that I was involved with. I think about people that I've had a hand in leading, recognizing talent. There are examples I could give that indicate that I was able to identify a few good people along the way. Share one of those with us. I'll give you a real simple example. I was the food and beverage manager for the Contemporary Hotel back in the day. And I happened to walk in to this small kitchen, just a heartbeat before this young culinary fellow was about to give an off-duty or going off-duty waitress a dinner of prime rib. So I had him dead to rights. And he knew it and she knew it. But there was something about this fellow that had always impressed me. And since they hadn't really completed the taking of the food. A blatant policy violation to use company food and give it to the cast members. Exactly. And it, it, it was so close to being done. I mean, but it didn't because they saw me and they stopped. And so I just gave, uh, that's his first name, the evil eye. And then several years later, I'm working at Imagineering and I get a letter and it's on uh, Dale Carnegie letterhead. I look at this envelope and I'm trying to figure out why am I getting this thing? So eventually I open it up and it's a letter from this young man that was almost ready to give away the prime rib. And he said, uh, dear Dave, I'm taking my Dale Carnegie class. The assignment today is to send a thank you letter to someone that's had a profound influence on our lives that we never took the time to thank. I want to thank you, Dave, for not firing me that night. And this young guy went on to become an executive sous chef at Walt Disney World. He had a very significant culinary career with Disney and a second or two would have made a difference or if I had made the decision, which I very well could have, to fire them right there, things would have turned out differently. That's a success. Exactly. When you have an impact on somebody's life, obviously that's how you measure success. I would love to hear another example of how you define success and, and give us an accomplishment that sort of exemplifies that. And are you wanting me to tell the ICC story? Yeah. You're at? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So earlier I was speaking about the International Chamber of Commerce and that, uh, and, and they had every hotel room at Walt Disney World at the time. Of course, at the time we had the Contemporary, the Polynesian, and I think we had the Golf Resort. And, and what year was this, Dave? That would have been 1977. And these business people, delegates from 84 countries showed up and they were eating in all of our restaurants and not tipping because they're, for the most part, accustomed to service compris, you know, the gratuity added. So after a couple of nights, the other fellow and I that were leading this event, Peter Blaustein and I, we began hearing about this problem and the cast was becoming increasingly upset about it. And so that evening, over a drink or two, Peter and I were talking about this situation and I made the decision that we would open up all the restaurants the next morning 
with 15% gratuity added. Now, you've heard me speak earlier about seamlessness and partnership and communication and, you know, trying to do things right. Well, those things didn't occur to me that night. Uh, so I got a hold of the third shift duty manager and I said, Brady, we need to have X number of 15% gratuity stamps for every restaurant when we open up in the morning. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to have to find one of those places that makes rubber stamps and get the guy out of bed. And we just have to have it done. And so we opened that morning with every restaurant automatically stamping on their guest checks, 15% gratuity. And it was not much longer that all of a sudden I'm beginning to realize that I'm in big trouble. The vice president for all of Walt Disney World, Bob Allen, called me, wanted to know what I was doing, why I had done it. The head of human resources at the time had made an appointment to come over to get my written statement. My boss was calling me, wanting to know what was going on, an explanation. He was, he was understanding because his background was in food and beverage. But anyway, I was in big trouble. Now, this Congress was also, because of its international nature, being used as the opportunity to announce that we were going forward with what was called Epcot Center. And so Don Tatum, Card Walker, all the big deal people of the day were there. And people like me knew all these people just because we were a much smaller company. Mm -hmm. And so just before the appointment where I'm supposed to write out the written statement on what I had done, uh, you know, like I didn't think to tell the union or even call HR or any communication. I didn't, I didn't do any of the smart stuff. My boss comes and says, let's take a walk. And uh, I said, okay, so we took a walk and we go up to the second floor of the contemporary, which was where all of the uh, convention space was and people are milling around. And we come upon Don Tatum, who was chairman or president, I think he was chairman. And uh, uh, hi, Don. Hi, Dave. How you doing? And then my boss says, tell Don what you did. And so I go through the whole thing. You know, I explained what I had done. And Don just stood there listening. And then when I was finished, he said, I would have done the same thing. And um, I never heard another word about it. I never did the written statement. Nobody ever called again. It just completely vanished. So to me, I had the right idea, but poorly executed, but it turned out well in the end. And how do you think this connects to your definition of success? What makes this a, a worthwhile accomplishment for you? I think it's a worthwhile accomplishment because it illustrates uh, willingness to take risk, mm -hmm. you know, to stick your neck out there sometimes. Rebecca, what do you think about Dave Vermeulen's definition of success and his greatest accomplishment? JB, I got to tell you, you know, I can listen to Dave's stories all day. He really has a way to tell a story that he teaches through them. And my biggest takeaway is to do the right thing. And you know what? Everything else is going to follow. What was your takeaway? My takeaway is that his definition of a success is kind of 
altruistic. Um, but I also know that if you go online and search for Dave Vermeulen, you will find a bunch of examples of how he made a difference in people's lives. So it's very genuine and sincere. And the thing that gets my attention is he achieved so much success in his career without appearing to be competitive or even insecure about competition. And I, I think it's just remarkable. Very, very altruistic. Our guest is Dave Vermeulen, and when we come back, he will tell us about his greatest adversity. Stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories. I'm Rebecca Morgan. My co-host is JB Adams, and our guest is Dave Vermeulen, former executive level leader at Disney Parks and Resorts. This segment is called The Greatest Adversity, and it's where we acknowledge that leaders are human and each of us has challenges to face. So in discussing The Greatest Adversity with Dave Vermeulen, we always ask our guest to label it. And in this case, Dave Vermeulen labeled his greatest adversity as some career obstacles that, as he described them, were very challenging. And Rebecca, we also need to do a little bit of context for this segment. We do. Time for a quiz? Yes, I get to quiz you. Ah, okay. Dave Vermeulen is going to mention Dick Nunes. So who is Dick Nunes? He was the president of Walt Disney Parks. Can I also add, Dick Nunes is a Disney legend. You may, he is. Truth. There's one other thing we need to mention in this story of greatest adversity, and that is Dave is going to refer to something that is called an operational organizational assessment. And for some of our listeners who work outside of corporate America, tell them what's really going on. They're going through a reorg. Okay, but if I haven't worked in corporate America, what's a reorg? They're just changing the positions, changing the org structure, doing things differently for various reasons. And is a reorg like common, normal? Is it fun? They are Stress never fun. They very stressful. Fun. They're very stressful. There's a lot of change that happens with reorg. And sometimes those changes can result in losing jobs, losing positions, losing status, just all certain things. So there's a lot of emotions and feelings that come with a reorg. They're really yeah, hard. Whenever there's a reorg, everyone has their guard up because there's a lot of uncertainty and you don't know if you are going to lose your job. At the same time, you also don't know if you're going to get this wonderful opportunity to move ahead. So it's it's just full of uncertainty and it it could turn out great or it could turn out terrible. That's right. All right. With that, as we uh, go into the segment, this is Dave Vermeulen telling us about his greatest adversity. I had been in Tokyo working on the grand opening. I come back to Florida and I'm promoted to the director of uh, food administration, kind of a early primitive version of how the food organization has evolved over time. And then one day, a couple years uh, down the road, there was a big operational organizational assessment done for all of Walt Disney World. And we made our presentation, we made our sales pitch. And then a few weeks later, my boss comes to me and says, we're going to be eliminating food administration. And because of that, I'm going to tell Dick, Dick Nunes, that you're going to be demoted to manager, no longer an executive. And so I said, okay, meaning I understand what you're telling me. Question. 
you made a sales pitch to them in what I'm assuming is sort of a, a reorganization of what your department did. That's a way of describing it, but our instructions, as I remember them all, were to illustrate in our presentation why we were essential and why we added value to the organization, why we needed to continue to exist in the format of the day, as opposed to a restructured organization. So in other words, they didn't buy your pitch. They didn't buy my pitch. And this piece was moved over to that line of business and that piece was eliminated and so on and so forth. And so I'm told I'm going to be demoted. And eventually my boss comes to me and he says, well, we finally got to Dick and we told him what's going on. And Dick said, so you told Dave he's being demoted to manager? And Jim says, yes. And then Dick says, as I was told by my boss, uh, well, then he's going to be real happy when you go back and tell him he's staying a director. So that happens. So now I'm, I have no direct reports other than my assistant. And she and I were kicked out of our office because other new tenants needed to use it. I had, I had a title. I had a job. I had a paycheck. I had an assistant. I had my benefits. And I had nothing to do. And that was so horrible. You know, the days dragged on. I didn't know what was going on. You still showed up to work. Oh, yeah. I showed up to work every day. Uh, and, you know, parenthetically, in Japan, they have this approach to dealing with people that they don't want around any longer, but can't get rid of. They give them a window seat and they give them no work to do. Mm -hmm. they just, you just they have to come in and you have to leave when you're supposed to leave but they give you nothing to do. And so I almost felt like I had a window seat, but that wasn't acceptable. So I began cobbling together a job. At that time, there was beginning to be some work on Disney MGM Studios as that park was originally uh, called. And I knew Bruce Laval. And so I started working with Bruce on the restaurant planning for the park. And then some opportunities came along for Euro Disney. So I began to cobble together a job. But that, to me, was a real sense of adversity. So to summarize, you made a pitch. They, they did not act upon your recommendation. They dissolved your department and had the intention of demoting you. But that was not fulfilled. What I'm curious about is... Did you ever find out why Dick sent that message that you would not be demoted? Never, ever did. But I remember getting chewed out by Dick many times. I mean, if we were doing a session on Dick Nunes stories, I could tell some great stories about getting chewed out. And one time, years later, Dick and I found ourselves at a social gathering together and we were talking and I brought up one of the situations and I had heard him say this before to others, but he would say, I, I was always toughest on my best players. And so I just think Dick saw something and decided that it was worth keeping me around. So he, he continued to have high expectations for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so the way that this story ends is that you cobbled together a job. When did you feel a sense of relief? What was that moment where you felt like 
you'd made it to the other side. When I was told that I would be responsible for the planning and operation of the food division for Disneyland Paris, Euro okay. Disney, as it was called. How much time passed? It would have been probably a couple years before I knew about the Paris assignment. So Dick decided to keep you and you could have decided to leave, but you didn't. So tell us what was behind that. Well, working at Disney, going all the way back to the beginning, had been very transformative for me, taking me from a place where I had no idea what I would do, whether I could ever be successful, to being successful. And so I felt, and this might sound kind of corny or syrupy, but I felt a loyalty to Disney. I was comfortable with Disney, even though I had faced that adversity, and I wanted to stick with it and just get through it. So what do you think is the takeaway from this experience? What advice would you share? I remember an expression that I learned in France. I'm not going to try to say it in French, but translated, it is make haste slowly. So I think sometimes you have to be thoughtful and not overreact. And, you know, it's kind of like in a crisis, the first news report you get is usually wrong, you know, and then as more information becomes available, the picture begins to clarify. I think that happens to us in our personal life and our work lives. So I would say make haste slowly. All right, Rebecca, let's reflect on what we heard from Dave Vermeulen's greatest adversity. What did you think? Well, you know, things are going to happen in your career. They absolutely are going to happen. Good and bad things. You're going to work with great people. You're going to work with not so great people. This is all going to happen. So the reminder from Dave for me is, you know what, to keep showing up, keep doing your best work, doing the right thing, keep moving forward and truly believe that things are going to work out. They are going to work out. How about you, JB? Tell me about your takeaways. The biggest moment of Dave's greatest adversity story that resonated with me was when he acknowledged, you know, after persevering through all of those challenges and again, finding his way in the company, I, I was a little stumped as to why he continued to stick it out. You know, there were so many things that he could have done. He could have left. He could have continued his career at a different company. He continued with Disney and this was the choice that he made. And to me, the thing that made the difference is his acknowledgement that the Disney company had transformed him. And that goes all the way back, if you haven't listened to part one of this interview, that opportunity that he had as a young man when he was in trouble. So that was powerful to me. And I have to acknowledge Dave's path is not the same one that many people would take. It's the path that worked for him. And there's something to be said for loyalty. I think loyalty is important, um, but I'll tell you, I think it was a very different time. I don't know today if, if such things would happen. You know what I'm saying here, JB? <laughs> you know, I, ugh, it's such a different time. So I want to acknowledge that this story takes place in the mid 1980s, and this is the way business was done at the time. And, and I think we need to be candid with our listeners and say, this is probably not the way business would be done now. Absolutely. The times have changed. How we run and operate businesses has changed. But I'm so glad that 
back then, this is what happened to Dave and the experience because we wouldn't have the chance to talk to him right now if he didn't have this experience. Let's acknowledge this as well. In the mid 1980s, Disney parks and resorts was still relatively small. And so the relationships that come from working in a smaller company, having grown up with them and these relationships were tight. And if you can get into an organization like that and grow together with the company, you can see the benefits of these tight relationships. Yes. You know, that's a really good point. So it makes sense that that loyalty was there because they were a tight knit team. Makes complete sense. Our guest is Dave Vermeulen. And when we come back, we will learn about his best advice for leaders. Stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories. My name is Rebecca Morgan. My co-host is JB Adams, and our guest is Dave Vermeulen, former Walt Disney World executive and leader from around the world at Disney Parks. And in this segment, we're going to ask Dave about his greatest career advice. So Dave, you left Disney in 2013. Occasionally, you come back in, in sort of an emeritus role when they we need help with something specific. Tell us about what you've done since 2013 and, and what you're doing now. Well, it's been kind of an interesting story. First of all, I didn't want to go full stop with my retirement. I just felt like that wasn't going to work out. And so I was in Tokyo at the time reporting to Bill Ernest, who was the president of Disney Parks for Asia. We worked out an agreement where I was able to support him in Asia slash on Asia, as the case may be, for 20 weeks a year. So I did that for a couple of years. At one point, I was on holiday, and Bill, for like three days, was trying to track me down, and we could just never connect. And finally, we connected, and he said, hey, we have the, the managing director for Shanghai just resigned. We're going to replace him but we need somebody on the ground now. Would you be willing to be rehired and move to Shanghai for some few months? We've got something in the works, but it can't happen yet. And I looked at my wife, we had Bill on the speakerphone and we both nodded and said, sure. So I was off to, to Shanghai. Then back in the summer of 2019, I got a call from Stephanie Young, who was the president of Hong Kong Disneyland at the time. And it was a similar story. She said, the vice president in charge of uh, all operations has resigned. We're working to replace him. Don't know how long it's going to be. Are you willing to come out and take over operations until that person's here? And I said, sure. Thinking it was going to be a month or two or so, it ended up being six months, a wonderful experience, very good for me in a number of ways. And I made my contribution. So fairly recently, I was kind of like pulled out of retirement to help out. I'm flattered by those opportunities and who knows whether any future ones will come about, but it's fun and I took it as a compliment. Excellent. With that in mind, what advice do you have for leaders? I'm taking your question in the context of what I have just shared. 
Well, this is a cliche, but don't burn bridges. You know, I think you also have to, I mean, I don't go out to the parks and all that kind of stuff or with any frequency, but I think you have to remain in touch with the product somehow if you're going to have an opportunity to do that. And I think the other thing is that opportunities like that come along when people know that you've made a difference and can continue to make a difference and that your leadership style, your leadership presence is such that you can be inserted into something like that with the result being helpful as opposed to unhelpful or disruptive. Dave, I would uh, venture a guess that you have a reputation as someone who can hit the ground running. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and, and hit the ground running and also sensitive enough to the realities on the ground to know where I can go and where I should stay away and, and that sort of thing to get in and prove to be helpful as opposed to unhelpful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Dave, there's something I remember you saying. I'm fortunate to have been on your team. And there's something you would always say. And I remember it as cast first, guest always. Did yep. I get that correct? Cast first, guest always is an expression that I stole from a lady named Mim Flynn. Mim, a long-term Disney executive in food and beverage, then overall hotel management. And cast first, guest always is about the importance of taking care of the cast so that they can take great care of the guests. So it's about hiring the right cast members and training them properly, but it's also about things like making sure that their costume fits and you know looks good and that they get the schedule they need. And if they can't get the schedule they need, somebody sits and talks to them about what's going on and why. It's uh, listening to them when they're having work or personal issues. It's about taking care of them so that when they're out on stage, they're not burdened by all this other noise and can take care of that most important person to them at the moment. And that's the guests that they're facing. And Dave, I want to follow up on that because earlier, when you talked about your leadership philosophy, there was a great emphasis on role modeling. And I also yeah. know that you believe that cast members join for a reason, but they also leave for a reason. So can you kind of tie those things together in the context sure. of philosophy and role modeling? Sure. Well, you know, think about it when you're considering going to work for a company. Now, you might know some people that work at that company and you're hearing good things about it. And, and you read things in the news or you experience the product and you say, wow, I really like this brand and you end up getting a job. But I think where it can break down is when the leader doesn't deliver on those brand expectations. And it doesn't mean that we can always deliver on everything. And it doesn't mean that sometimes we, we might not disappoint, but when we do disappoint, if it becomes chronic, you know, my supervisor, my leader won't listen to me. He's unfair. Whatever the, the thing might be, 
Well, for a frontline cast member, that person's leader is the company. Mm-hmm. You know, that assistant guest service manager to a brand new hire is the company. And if that person doesn't live up to the expectations, it's a good possibility that that new cast member is going to leave. What's the takeaway here, Dave, for leaders? What should they do? I think that the first thing that they need to come to understand is the significant role that they play, that they make a difference each and every day. And it can be a positive difference or a negative difference. And you go back to that person that hired onto the company and had these expectations based on brand reputation, experiences with the product, et cetera. And then you come in and you find contradictions. That's not good because now you're faced with this dilemma. Why am I here if if this is not what I thought it was going to be? So the importance of role modeling, understanding the values, the traditions, striving to continually make things better is so important. And for many, many people, it boils down to that frontline supervisor. All right, uh, Dave, we're about to wrap up our time. Um, we got two questions left for you. I have one, Rebecca has one. My question is this. When you think about all the stuff that you have shared with us, so rich, and about how all the pieces of your story come together, if you could go back in time, knowing what you know now, and give advice to that young man in Southern California, what would you tell him? I would tell him that he should have a mentor. I never really understood the importance of mentorship until way down in my career. I mean, based on that situation with my dad and my mom, I felt it was just up to me to do what I could do. You know, it wasn't me against the world, but it was it was me. And I relied on myself. And that then transferred into my approach at work. You know, I would make my decisions when a decision had to be made. I didn't seek out advice and counsel from a mentor. There are decisions I made that I probably should not have and probably would not have made if I had had a good, solid mentorship relationship with somebody. Thank you. So Dave, as you think about what has brought us all together, you know, to tell your story and an examination of Disney leadership on the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, what else would you like to share with our listeners? Well, I would just like to say that I think Disney is phenomenal. Uh, I think it still is. And that those listeners who've had the good fortune to be with Disney should be very proud of what they did. And for those of you that um, have never been with Disney, it's as great as we've always said it is. Dave Vermeulen, thanks so much for joining us here on Leadership Life Stories and sharing your story. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. And I have more stories if you ever want to hear them someday. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. So JB, what do you think about Dave's advice? In the time spent with Dave Vermeulen, 
and all the stories that he has told, I come away with one word, and that word is humility. There's a certain grace about him. It's kind of disarming in that other people recognize talent in him, and he moves ahead because of that. So you hear examples of that throughout his story. He accepts help from other people, but he's also very gracious about offering help to others. And I don't know what else to say other than that he's a very inspiring leader. What do you think, Rebecca? My takeaway was he talked about having a mentor. And I'm a huge fan of informal mentoring. That is where my best mentor relations came from is through informal mentoring. Now, I got to tell you, Dave has been a mentor to me. With Dave, when he talks and shares the stories, it reminded me that with him, it's always been a two-way street, that he would ask me for advice, which, you know, I remember it threw me off at first, like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, you're asking me my opinion, what I think? I I'm not ready for this, because this is not how it works in mentoring. But Dave, um, gosh, he is into that two-way mentoring, and it's just a great reminder. There are so many gems from talking with Dave, and a leader, uh, you get to choose. You get to choose on how you want to lead and how you want to make people feel. Well, and with that, I would just like to say, Rebecca Morgan, thank you for being my co-host on Leadership Life Stories. Thank you, JB. It's a heck of a lot of fun. And this is just a reminder to our listeners. This is the end of part two of a two-part interview with Dave Vermeulen. Come back next time and we'll have another Disney leader for Leadership Life Stories Season 2. So please tune in. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find Leadership Life Stories and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Leadership Life Stories was created by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell. Today's episode was co-hosted by Rebecca Morgan and J.B. Adams. Sound design by Michael Orlowski, mixing and editing by Manny Simone. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow us at Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform. This is JB Adams, and until next time, remember, if you can dream it, you can do it.